0: You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk.
1: Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to Episode 86 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris.
0: And I'm Bob. And today we're coming to you remotely from the booth at the Sachem Public Library in Holbrook, New York, and the M.S. Clark Memorial Library in Setauket, New York. Library Pros Podcast is a bi-monthly podcast, so please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. And please check us out on Twitter, at The Library Pros, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pros. Consider leaving a review or tell someone about us, because word of mouth is the best way to help our podcast listenership grow.
1: So today joining us is Matt Pascoe, Content and Experience Manager at the Ipswich City Council in Queensland, Australia. We're going to talk with Matt about some pretty exciting and successful initiatives that the libraries are accomplishing, and about the brand new Ipswich Library. But first, let's get to know Matt. So we've had more than a few uh, library people from Australia on the podcast. So thanks for coming on and speaking with us. You're, I think, the second one from uh, from second or third one from Queensland. So can you tell us about Ipswich? Ips I'm going to tongue tie this the whole time. <laughs> Ipswich City Council. Uh, and Instead how how the libraries are organized? Like, are there branches? They organize sure. some other way.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks heaps, Chris and Bob, for having me on. It's a pleasure to come on and uh, wax lyrical about uh, all the great things that are happening in Queensland and in Ipswich in particular. Yeah. So the way that we're organized, uh, the way that all public libraries, the um, lower state level, are, are organized in Australia, is that they are run by the they're by the um, city councils uh, or the local government administration. Um, and uh, so Ipswich City Council is a, one of the larger councils in uh, in Queensland. Uh, Queensland um, has very um, large library services. Not a lot of people around Australia know that. But uh, Brisbane, which is the capital city of uh, Queensland and the city next right next door to Ipswich. Uh, has actually the largest library service in Australia. Um, it's kind of a quirk of the way that the councils are incorporated. They tend to take up quite a large municipal area and population. And, uh, and what that means is we have, uh, yeah, we, we have some pretty, pretty big libraries. I, with Australia as the context there, and obviously not on the same sort of scale as the states. Um, but anyway, the Ipswich uh, City Council, we have our libraries in the, uh, libraries and customer service branch and, the libraries, we have a central library and then, uh, so this is Ipswich, uh, Ipswich City Central Library, which uh, we've just opened our, uh, we moved to our new building in our CBD redevelopment area and that happened late last year in December, which is, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic new build. And then we've also got uh, another four libraries as well. And we're opening a sixth uh, specialist children's library in the end of June this year. So we've, uh, in the last two and a half years, we've opened three libraries. So we're very busy opening libraries. We're also looking at uh, these other uh, collection outreach projects, such as our Carolee Library Pod, which is an automated uh, self-service library installation. So we are looking at to distribute as much of our service as we can, rather than just have the big mothership and small branches everywhere. We are trying to have a distributed service uh, across the city and bring as much of collection to the community as we can, and to make our resources as accessible as possible.
0: So Matt, when did you come to the profession um, and, and do you hold a, a degree in library science? Uh, we know Australia is a bit different with the degree requirements than it is here in the US.
2: Yeah, it is It is a bit different. It, it does depend service to service. So I'm what was once, des- I was once described as a feral professional uh, in that I've, uh, I'm, I'm not actually um, native to library land and I've come in from the outside. I don't hold a, a library degree. I've been working in libraries now for the last six, seven years. But uh, no, I'm, I, I don't hold um, a, a degree or a certificate or a, a master's in information and library services. originally came into uh, library land uh, as, as a lot of people sort of do from the side when they come in from IT. Um, I, I was sort of contracted in to um, help take care of a particular library services website and catalogue. And yeah, while I was in there, I, I just absolutely fell in love with the actual scope of libraries. Like all of the things they did just blew me away. Um, I, uh, prior to working in libraries, I had been working for myself as a consultant, but also as a uh, running other small businesses. And, and I thought that running small businesses was a, you, you pretty much, you, you know, you had a really wide range of skills and a really wide range of things that you had to take care of. But uh, I, I found that that was dwarfed utterly by the scale of what I saw going on. The expertise I'd hear people talking about in terms of marketing, branding, uh, RFID, attenuation cones, you know, the structural integrity of concrete in stairwells, like all of these sort of things. And no, no one's even talking about books, by the way. Everything is just about these amazing things that go into running a library. And, uh, and it'd be the same people talking about it. It would just be these people with these amazing skill sets and these amazing interests and all of it. As opposed to, to to working privately, uh, wasn't in the, um, wasn't in the cause of making yourself rich or bringing, in, selling more widgets to, to bring in more profits to, to the corporation that then remunerates you. It, it was just for the people, for people, for the community so that people could have more education, edification and, uh, and entertainment because they deserve it. And uh, I just thought it was an amazing mission and, uh, it was intellectually really stimulating. And once I was in, I, I couldn't really get out. I just loved it.
1: Well, you know, it's really kind of weird too because that's what happens to all of us. We get we come into this thinking it's one thing and it becomes something mm. completely different. And it's almost like you you fall in love again. It's it it's such an interesting industry to be in because like you're saying no one understands or knew about the marketing end of it and the promotion end of it and you know the, what drives people to come to the building and there there's a whole in, cottage industry basically built on how you bring people into a library. And you never think that you know when you go to library school they really don't cover any of that. So in terms of you know that being one of the the hidden things about librarianship and and just working in libraries in general, how do you pull people in to not sell them something? You know that's that's really the trick. How do you lure people in with free things when that's all you have to offer for the most part, with the exception of like you know you have a print you know you have to pay for prints or something like that, but. You know, it's yeah. really it, it's it's strange, right, because you're trying to lure it's people in and, to give them yeah. things for free.
2: It's strange. And, and of course, yeah, as, as you said, it's, it's, it's ironic, too. Um, it's almost as if free has become a dirty word uh, in the last 20 years or so. I think we've had some pretty strong success in terms of increasing our membership. Our membership has gone up, up prior to COVID, where all of our stats sort of fall off a cliff. Prior to that, we've been increasing our membership significantly year on year. So 2017-18, 2000, uh, we went up by 35%, and then 2019-20, we were up around uh, 50%. Mm. And, um, though, and same with our, our circulation was uh, has improved dramatically as well. And, and a lot of that has been trying to address the exact problem that you're talking about, and that's how do we market what it is that libraries do essentially, well, effectively for free but I found we've had success by sort of trying to to figure out how or rather than sort of trying to tell people what it is that we've got really trying to figure out well how can we better fit into people's lives we can just take it as as read that the, the, the that we've got good content but if we don't um, we've also got uh, we've got programs we've got an entire team to get better content not for what we think is appropriate but for what um, what it is that people need um, just to make, you know, just, just to get better value from us in their lives. So it's not about explaining to them all the great things that the library does. It's for the library to go, okay, we've not been good at this. So um, spin it around a bit and figure out how can we integrate ourselves better into people's lives. And so we, we do that through projects like our marketplaces, uh, which are special zones within our libraries that are, are much more themed like a bookshop. And they're the collection, curation and development systems that sit under those are much more, would be much more aligned to a retail focus. They're much more analytics driven. We have a very aggressive sort of approach to what is value in a book where rather than having one book that might get loaned 20 times over uh, four years or three years, we'll try and get a ludicrous number of copies of the really popular books in order to get those loans within six months. And uh, so rather than having 60 people waiting for a book in a queue, we'll get 30 copies of that book. and and bang them out. So it's it's an approach to collection development. Um, It's not throughout the whole library. It's it's just in these particular zones. It It is an approach that other libraries can find quite challenging. Those who have more of a seeing libraries as an archive business perspective, whereas we really see that this part of our business is just about, again, finding that value for people. We don't want people to sit at home waiting for them to get a notification that they can go and read the latest Lee Child book. We need them to know, no, you just come in and get it. And while you're there, you, we've got other books there that are curated by our librarians, which are staggeringly popular. Really, some of the some of the um, librarians have collections where upwards on the shelf we can only fit around or 30 or 50 items, but they'll have upwards of 600 or 700 that are actually out on loan, and those are all recommendations. And so, people become real fans of the librarians and the and the curation preferences and we're able to then find that coming to the library you can just get something you don't have to you don't have to use the catalog you don't have to put a reservation on you just have to need a good read and you can come in and we can pretty much guarantee that you can get one right near the front door and we don't do any of the hot read sort of stuff where we penalize people or or uh, you know, make out that this is a strange thing to do—to to come into the library and expect to get a bestseller. There's, it's front and center. There's loads of copies. It's all part of the process. It's all part of the deal you get from each which libraries. And so, because of that, the turnover in that area is uh, yeah anywhere between 400 and 800 percent up on the rest of the of the library. But we also have seen uh, similar, or oh, not similar, but we've also seen an, an, an engagement increase in the other collections as well. So these, these areas, the marketplaces drag people in because they know they can actually get a good book, get a book that they want to read. Uh, And then, but it also then while they're there, we're we're finding they are actually um, browsing the rest of the library and finding something else of value.
1: That really is interesting. And I think we're going to touch on that in the next uh, segment as well. And it's actually a good segue into the next question that we have. So, you know, you have a really interesting title. You know, can you explain what a content experience manager does? What's it, what's a day in the life of Matt? doing his oh. job. What, what? Tell us what, what that's about, because I'm fascinated by it, and especially since, you know, you don't hold a degree, I'm really, you know, curious what your day is like and what,
2: you know, what you do. Thanks, Chris. Uh, it's, it is fascinating. Fascinating is a word for it. Um, <laughs> so, as, as I said before, we've been on a, like, a really uh, full-on program of library deployment um, and significant library projects. Uh, um, so, since I've started, it's been basically major project work from the get-go. So, uh, And most recently, we've released our Springfield Library, our Rosewood Library, which is um, central library, the library pod, and we've had to create an interim children's library while we get the other one ready. And uh, and so during all that time, I've been stake- stakeholder from within the service or the project lead driving some of those projects. So at the moment, I'm spending a lot of time working on our next project being the, the children's library and getting that ready to fly, but the, the, the great thing is after doing this so many times, our team, who none of whom are project managers, I'm not a project manager, none of those are, are, are project officers or managers by profession, they've now been doing new libraries for so long, everyone's really good at it, <laughs> they're all experts at coordinating these large projects, so a lot of my work is just making sure that that's all happening okay. Yeah, that's a significant chunk of my time these days. But the actual title, uh, the uh, content and experience. um, So content refers to the fact I am in in charge of the the library content, the collections, both digital and physical. Um, So uh, I spend a lot of time uh, with our content development and logistics team who are all uh, amazing and working, again, under some extraordinary circumstances with all the new work that they keep getting thrown and all the weird ideas that I keep demanding from them that uh, the content component of my title is yeah working on developing the collections and uh, and the collection development strategies and the logistics strategies to get them across the city then the experience refers to the other two functions within my section uh, which are uh, customer experience and uh, digital experience and we have the digital experience team who provide all the uh, business application support and all the all the, the website development and the, the amount of crazy technology we've got in our maker spaces as, as, as well as uh, a lot of development and trying to provide the sort of the expertise that could pull these disparate pieces of, of what we do together so think using our LMS and using our website and then using our various providers and aggregators to bring them all together to uh, deliver our virtual services and then customer experience is actually uh, a third more holistic function that I do which is across all of the council and it's a new uh, it's a new role and we're basically looking to deliver customer experience uplift across the whole organization so it's a new uh, sort of undertaking that council is 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 taking on and yeah we're developing strategy and then an implementation program to Basically, to take the same philosophy that we've had in the libraries, to be honest, and uh, and start to apply them across all of councils so that we put the customer uh, at the center of um, of all that we do.
1: It almost sounds like you're the glue that holds it all together.
2: <laughs> I'll, I'll take that to the boss and go and ask for a pay rise. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I
0: love that you call them customers, not members or patrons, because uh, I guess Chris, you'll remember in the early 2000s, right? the libraries went through big – redesign of what we should call our members or patrons or customers There's a lot of controversy um, about
1: what what we yeah, call so, them yeah
0: so how does that work out for you i mean i think it's fantastic i think it's more correct or more accurate than uh, calling them a patron or a member you know we're not costco uh you know so i think it's uh and we serve people
2: who are not members of our library too so i mean That's right yeah you know, yeah, it, half hour. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I like. I find it. Uh, it's just one of those things. You can call me anything. Just don't call me late for breakfast. Like <laughs> they, yeah. um, they're the people who come in who who, who like we're looking to serve. So uh, I find, yeah, I have found that a, a, a kind of a really distracting sort of argument. But I know that you know what you call like there's. Deep power in, in how we identify with subjective and objective language when talking about other people. But when, when we start referring to them as customers, there's so much we can tap into. There's so many resources. There's, there's so many really quick wins in terms of getting ideas across to people that it's uh, I, I think that those far outweigh the sensitivity around whether or not we're actually conducting a, a you know, a capitalist-based transaction when we're engaging with them or, or, whether it's something else. Um, I, 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 just don't think about it. No one really in our teams, uh, has, has a, has a problem with it. Um, it's, you know, it's much more, we'd much more rather the person who comes in mm. is looked after than spend, um, too much time worrying about how it is that we actually identify them.
0: Makes
1: sense. Well, you know, it, I think that the pushback originally when, when people started talking about the people who come into the building as customers is there was almost, there's this stigma that's put on retail, But, you know, that's just for kids. It's just for part-time work. Nobody wants to work in retail. There's that that stigma. You know what I mean? So there was a lot of pushback because of that. And there was also a philosophy of, well, we're not selling anything, so they're not really customers. You serve customers who are buying things. But I think it's transitioned the definition or the meaning. And this is why when you look something up, a definition, there's more than one definition of a word. I think it really has transcended the definition of what we come to understand what a customer is. It's just a term of art to say that it's the person who comes in the building. I
2: agree. And it really helps when we're pitching uh, a lot of these ideas upwards, uh, using that kind of language because the executive certainly uh, understand that language because it's really easy to translate what it is that you're doing in terms of an evidence base and uh, what results look like, what success looks like when you're using that kind of language.
1: So we're going to take a short break, and when we return, we're going to chat with Matt about some really interesting initiatives, including library makerspaces, library pods, which we'll expand on a little bit more, walk-up makerspaces, and maybe even tell us about the new building at Ipswich City Council Library. So we'll be back in just a moment.
0: And we're back with Matt Pasco from Ipswich City Council Libraries.
1: So we have so many exciting things to talk to you about. First of the many cool services that you offer patrons is marketplaces. So can you explain what that is in a little more detail? And do you integrate it into your catalog with Dewey or some other classification system? I'm assuming that you're turning books face out as opposed to spine in as like a marketing thing to get people to look at stuff that's been curated.
2: Yeah, that's right, Chris. And that's the most obvious thing that people see directly when they uh, they engage or, or encounter one of these marketplaces is that it, 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 they are. The, the books are all face out. It is, it is we say it's more like a bookstore kind of retailing approach. But to be honest, it's, it's more like a, a fantasy uh, bookstore or what a movie might make a bookstore look like because bookstores don't. But it is, uh, yeah, it is a lot more face out. It is, the idea is for it to be a lot more Visually appealing, but also uh, inviting. Well, one of the problems that I think uh, library marketing has got to address is this standoffish nature of, of the library brand. And we'd like to let people know that they're free to, to come in and clutter up the collection and, and grab something and put it back and, and not be worried that it's out of order or anything like that. And that's, I think, a lot of what the marketplace does. It's in terms of actually the, the direct link between the catalogue and being able to discover I have a nice clean discovery line of sight. Uh, it's a bit of a mess. Know that it's in the general area of where it is. So on that side, it's not as clean, but that's by design. The idea driving the marketplace is more about serendipitous discovery rather than presenting like an alternative uh, archival solution. It's about customers having a general idea of what they want rather than a very specific uh, specific target for what they want. And that way, the face-out books, the, the deep number of uh, copies that we have in our uh, top 20 sections really help people know that this is just an area that they're going to find value, that they don't have to do that grazing up and down the, the stacks, looking at the same authors to, to try and find what it is that they might would like to read. So the way that it's organized is into, uh, they're in a series of bookshelves and each bookshelf has one or two uh, of these small mini collections in them. And the collections are signed by a, a piece of chalkboard signage, which we might say best of science fiction or gardening or wealth tips or, um, Bron and Judy's picks or something like that. And, uh, and then have an underneath it somewhere between 30 and, and yeah, 50 or a few more books. Yeah, they, the, the whole approach differs from the way obviously that the spine out Clean discovery shelving process of, of the rest of the of the stacks, but the the results really really speak for themselves. We were able to take the analytic performance of the books that were shelved in the in, in the stacks as normal, and compare them to how they perform when they go into the marketplace, and uh, and the results are are markedly different. They're up anywhere from 400 to 800 percent greater turnover. There, there are the book when they have moved to the marketplace. There are books that have been sitting on the shelf uh, for on the shelves for years with just one or two turnovers a year, and they move to the marketplace, and they barely sit on the shelves. They just go out and out and out and out. So the return on investment, uh, as far as we're concerned, uh, for the actual items is is fantastic.
1: You know, it, when you said something, you had said you had chalkboard signs, and it seems as though that there's a trend uh, here in the states and probably there too. There's there's something like called chalkboard marketing. Where that's like the new thing now, signage is chalkboards and, and you know you can wipe them down and as long as you have somebody who has either good handwriting or is a good artist, yes, yeah. you can really do some amazing things with, with the chalkboarding. So let me ask you this. What's the difference between – and forgive me if, if I'm insulting you. I don't think I am but um, – what's the difference between a market – doing it as a marketplace style and doing it as a general book display? Because, like in the library, is always into like book displays and stuff like that. So this is a lot more than that. Because you're you're actually doing a direct marketing campaign when you're when you're curating these these titles, right?
2: That's right. So the the difference is that this is uh, an ongoing and sustained component of our offering, and. There are in each marketplace, uh, it depends on the size of the library, but around 20 to 30 of these separate little mini collections. Um, And underneath each one of those is an individual who's responsible for maintaining the content. The performance is monitored uh, through our business intelligence tools and any books that don't perform, we've got sort of set turnover standards. If they don't perform, they're out. That doesn't mean we delete them or anything, they just go back out into the into the shelves, but it's also the same with the the actual selections themselves. If 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 the selection isn't performing, there are loads of people who want to get in and get involved with this project, and so they'll be retired, and uh, and we'll bring another one in their place. So we do have a lot of governance underneath it all. We've got a style guide, on how it's supposed to look, so that the library services staff have uh, an understanding of w- what it looks like. Essentially, what it looks like when it doesn't look right is, is the best way to describe it, and, uh, and and how to correct it, because that's taken. a a bit of training for people to understand what this area is supposed to look like, because it doesn't look like any other part of the library. Although now we've had them in place now for three years. So everyone's, they're now part of our DNA. So there is a pretty good understanding of of what it is that they're supposed to look like. We're really there now. So the difference really between this and a a standard general display, it's here for the long term and it's it's a very dynamic and sustained venture.
1: It really sounds like a, a great idea. Um, just because it's innovative, it's it's different kind of thinking, and it's like you said, it's sustained. And another thing that you had said that jumped out at me was because it's interesting how you your approach is a business approach to not a business. You, you talk about the the business intelligence tools. It's like wow, that's that sounds really like CIA kind of stuff, right, Bob?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the numbers, right?
1: It really is. That.
0: that's right
2: well they, they can tell amazing stories
1: when you're writing a book because i'd buy it in a second <laughs> a book about library marketing
0: okay so you said the readership is up because uh you're focusing more on these books that may not have gone out as well um stuck in the i don't want to say stuck but stuck in the in the stacks right
2: that's right that was one of the first discoveries when we uh we started doing it effectively the the this was a, a, a solution in search of a problem. Really, um, there was a, a we did have some space um, that needed filling in, in, in one of our libraries. That we just sort of evolved this idea, uh, and uh, it was a real it was a, a, a really collaborative idea. Um, I've spoken about it at quite a few conferences, and I've been lucky enough to have myself <laughs> identified with it. But it uh, it really wasn't um, my initiative. Uh, it was a real uh, it was a real team. Uh, collaborative project. It's been remarkable how uh, how well this idea around uh, performance has insinuated itself into our kind of team culture. The, the, you know, as we were just saying before, like a lot of this language can you know, they can sound like dirty words, but when you actually strip away kind of the pretense of the of the language and get into what it is you're trying to do and that's connect with customers do the right thing by the community or' coming in the door uh, when people have that understanding that that's that, that's what you're what you're ultimately trying to achieve and then when you start showing numbers that showing you, you're doing it you do get some really some really strong buy-in
0: and big numbers I mean you wouldn't you wouldn't even need much buy-in if you're showing those kinds of numbers you know those kinds of books yeah. that are walking off the shelf that wouldn't otherwise be doing that
2: yeah, the problem we've we had uh, historically was that the the library did not have a good level of engagement with the community. So we've we've really been trying to build our service to one that the community that basically meets a a common standard for for the community. And so all of this work is just really getting to a kind of a, a good normal with with our community and getting the. The collection used by uh, as many people as possible. I think we're really getting there. uh, We're really getting close to um, our target of uh, of around, uh, I think we're trying to reach 45% of our population by 2022 um, and I think we're well on track for that. We were a fraction of that number when I first started here. But again, that is just about Getting to a nice normal—that's not reaching eighty percent of the population. That's just getting to uh, where I think that it should be. And then I think we really have to step it up a gear to really start reaching that, all of those people who um, who haven't been using, who haven't been to a library in, in twenty years. And uh, yeah,
0: yeah, you have to have something to do in twenty twenty three, right? That's where you get to eighty percent. Well, Matt, you sent us a few videos of Library Pod, uh, and they look fantastic, right? So, could you tell us a little bit more about them? Where they're placed and the approximate cost of them. I know you said that you modified some of them.
2: Yeah, sure. The library pod went live um, late uh, 2019, and it's it, people might have seen the the actual product that they sort of that, that they have at the centre of them. Technology wise, it's what they call a lib cabinet. It's an RFID box where if you uh, wave your library cards or your uh, your phone with the barcode on it, uh, the door opens. You can take a book from it. And then the door automatically closes, and that's the entirety of the transaction. The, the boxes themselves, the, the live cabinets, aren't really that. Um, they haven't been really built with a particular retail focus. Uh, a lot of them go into university libraries, uh, or they sit inside libraries and sort of for in, in common areas and things like that. We um, we really wanted to aggressively move our service out into the community, and so we contracted with a um, a kiosk design firm uh, basically an architectural firm who designed us um, an installation that would sit uh, in a shopping center um, uh, in a sort of indoor outdoor kind of area but they really made it beautiful they took what was effectively a very functional box and and made it into something that's architecturally um, quite interesting and we just literally uh, won an award last week Uh, sorry we didn't win an award we got a highly commended uh, we got beaten by some pretty stiff competition <laughs> with about a hundred times the budget. Yeah, if people are interested, they can check us out on ipswichlibraries.com.au dot um, au, where they can see all of our libraries and the uh, or just Google Caroli Library Pod, and you'll see it. Now, re- you know, I recommend having a look at it because I guarantee you what you've got in your head is not what this looks like. It is actually quite a beautiful installation, and um, and the way that it works, it really does what it says on the tin. Um, people do just walk up to it with their phones wave them in this area, the door opens, they take a book out and they walk off and that's the end of the transaction. So it's very lightweight um, in terms of uh, the work that the customer has to do to complete their transaction. Uh, And the customer experience is, um, is really exactly the sort of things that we've always wanted to do. We've always wanted to make it easy. We've wanted to make it accessible and we've wanted to make it part of people's lives so they don't actually have to make a special trip to go to the library in order to benefit from having a library in their community. And the um the numbers have been um, have been really quite impressive. We've had uh, even during COVID, we've had over forty thousand transactions uh, through through the installation, and uh, and thousands of people using it. And um and we just dropped out a really quick survey uh, last year just to get some feedback. And the, the the feedback I've never seen anything like it. Well, for, for a start, I've never seen uh, a response rate like it. We sent it out to as many people as we could sort of ascertain had been using it, and we had a, a response rate of something like eighty percent coming back to us, which I've I've never seen anything above like eighteen percent. And uh, and it was all just amazing. It was all the kind of um, the the kind of recommendations and uh, and testimonials that you you, you dream of, um, and people sort of saying exactly what we we were hoping we'd be able to achieve in terms of customer experience and incorporation into their life, sort of uh, into, into their day to day. We were, people were saying things like, Oh, I just, I can get a library book when I go to the shops or I can uh, pick up my reservations uh, when I go to get my beer. You know, it's, it's like just um, it's, it's a bit where we can sort of reduce the friction of engagement and interaction with the, you know, the, the, the real, powerhouse of, of of what the library is uh, the, the collection uh, we can just take that from inside the the, the structures of, of the building of the library and uh, yeah and take it somewhere like a shopping center and uh, and if you do it right and if it looks good people use it and it's been a, a real runaway success for us. So we only have one at the moment. We're looking at discussions around deploying another two in the next Australian financial year. Uh, we're yet to, yet to figure out where, where they're going to be and whether or not that's uh, that's going to fit in with our uh, midterm strategy. Yeah, if, if you jump onto our website, you can have a look at them. They are uh, at, at sorry, the Carol Lee uh, installation. So around the costing of it, the, the cost is uh, in Australian dollars is around uh, a quarter of a million dollars, and there is uh, of course like an upkeep cost of it. We have a local contractor in the shopping centre who just keeps an eye on it and uh, and cleans it and uh, makes sure that it looks okay, uh, and we also uh, have a courier that does a run every day to resupply the stock and also to take away uh, library returns because you can't drop off books there as well. And then our long-suffering content development and logistics team are working out more and more systems every day to support it because it needs its own suite of um, support programs to, to make it work properly. But um, but they've been doing an amazing job at making it work. And, um, and our fantastic uh, digital experience team are the ones who've been liaising with the technology provider. Yeah, most of our problems on that side have been related to things like dropouts. When it drops out, the, the system uh, has traditionally had a hard time getting itself back up and for a remote installation that is our biggest fear but uh, she's, the, the, that team has been working fantastically with their provider and most of those problems have now been solved and, uh, and we're looking at really solid uptime at the moment. Very, very few instances of, uh, of, of the machine shutting down. So yeah, no, it's been it's been, for for a pilot project. It's uh, it's vastly exceeded our expectations, and as I was saying, it's provided momentum to go forward with possibly another two in the next um, eighteen months.
0: So this is a browse and borrow system. Basically, it's not a they're not picking up their reservations or anything like that. right?
2: No, we do we do have a reservation. One of the uh, pods is dedicated drop-offs and uh, reservation pickups. Very cool. So. Yeah, so and people do browse from the drop offs as well. So the return books, you can borrow them just as easily. And and again through our BI tools we're able to see what goes on there. And there's a lot of that. A lot of people picking through the, the return books and, and taking some of that, which is sort of emergent behaviour we hadn't really expected, but it's 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 great to see.
0: That makes sense, Chris. That's interesting, huh? Patrons are returning the books and other patrons can take them out without having to
2: conventionally you know, they
0: wait until the book bins are cleared out.
2: Yeah, so it's,
1: it's almost uh self-service self-deploying
2: yeah we have we have similar results with our we've got return shelves in, in our libraries the bibliotheca smart blades, and uh, people can just put them onto those return shelves and then wander off and they get returned automatically we do find a, a similar sort of behaviour with people coming over and just picking over what's been returned I suppose with the idea being that if someone's borrowed it it's, that, that's some sort of behavioural indicator that uh, the book is okay and uh, and worth having a look at so, it's, uh, yeah, it is something we've seen, actually, in the libraries as well.
1: What, what kind of capacity does it, do these things
2: have? Oh, uh, they hold 125 books per unit. Uh, so there's around 250 in the two that we keep fully stocked and then yeah, the other one's always pretty full as well of reservations and uh, and returns. The, the real trick to it, though, is the resupply. So as I was saying, we have a, we have some contractors on site. We have the, the news agent who works in the shopping centre who, uh, who we've partnered with, who twice a day, I believe, uh, it just goes, we have a restock available in the unit. So there's large seats that actually hold stock within them. And so she just unlocks those and takes the books that need to be, Restocked. So I should have explained that what they basically hold is multiple copies. So there's five uh, five bays across and four down. So there's a uh, hundred slots. Uh, oh, sorry, I haven't done the maths right there at all. But there's uh, a number of uh, slots, and each one can hold five copies. And so what we're, what the the newsagent does is come and take the reserve. Copies and then backfills into the places that where they where they've been borrowed. So where there's something like a lot of the kids' books have really really high turnover, but uh, things like Michelle Obama will come out and all they sort of do is just refill that all day. So that that's not being done uh, by our staff. That's that's being done by someone local to the uh, to the installation. And the good thing is that the pod has been such a great community asset that that's something that's cheerfully done. Everyone in the in the shopping centre has got a vested interest in the success. Uh, Of the library pod uh, because it is uh, it's it's a traffic driver as well, but it's also yeah it's a point of difference for the uh, for their shopping centre in that this is not anything that is anywhere else in Australia. So it's uh, it's something that they they're very keen to keep working and uh, and keep looking good and uh, and keep bringing customers in for their businesses.
0: Smart, smart.
1: It's actually a library product that's drawing people into a business, and and other businesses are being mark or marketing or trying to. Build themselves around something that's from the library. That's that's an interesting flip side, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean it's it's more. It is back to what we were discussing earlier around the idea of marketing for libraries. Libraries, the, the value of libraries is self evident. Libraries can give um, tremendous value to everybody. So it's finding out ways of uh, of integrating those resources into people's lives for them to realize that value and then it just becomes then natural for them to expect that want that and and do that and that then can be a uh, yeah can provide value for for these other businesses or, or community groups or whoever else wants to uh to ride on our coattails
1: so keeping with that idea of walking up self-service kind of thing um, you really got my attention with walk-up makerspaces. Um, the video that you shared about your your spaces really caught my attention. Um, can you explain the concept of what a walk-up makerspace is and what equipment do you have in your
2: spaces? Yeah, sure. That, that's that been a, – a dovetails in nicely with the same – almost the exact same approach. It's It's all about accessibility. Uh, for for anyone who's coming to a library, whether they're, they're they're an old hand and they know exactly what they want, or if they're drifting in for the first time or whatever, um, we need to be able to provide uh, sort of an equitable um, service for for them in terms of experience. Uh, and, and what that what that means is that the makerspace shouldn't be something that's locked in a cupboard and brought out on Thursday afternoons for a class. Uh, if we've spent the money on the technology. Uh, It should be available for basically anyone who can use it safely at any time. So we've we basically used we have the the usual kind of um, virtual reality, augmented reality suite. Uh, We have the uh, we've been doing it now for for quite a while. We started with uh, the Oculus Rifts, and uh, I'm not even sure what version we're up to now. but what we've always insisted on is that the VR is something for everyone who's not in VR to enjoy as well. So it's not just about the person in the headset having a good time. It's about other people being able to understand what's going on uh, with them at the same time. So uh, a number of our installations have green screens deployed uh, in the background of the, where the person is um, enjoying the VR. And then uh, we'll have a broadcast which shows uh, from a virtual camera within the uh virtual reality environment, what's happening within their context in the game or in the experience. So if you see someone painting something uh, with Google Tilt Brush, you'll actually see them as they're painting. So I'm moving my hands around a lot here, (laughs) but as as they paint, you'll see the person on the TV screen painting in 3D, or if they're dodging a dragon, you'll actually see the dragon and them dodging underneath it. Or Beat Saber is a good one where you can actually see what they're doing. Rather than just seeing someone flailing their arms around and smiling, you can actually see what's going on in their context, not just from their point of view, but from as if you're standing behind them in this kind of virtual world. And, uh, and that's been tremendously um, successful in explaining to a lot of people what virtual reality is. But then, uh, you know, really getting – it's really fun. It's really cool. We've also uh, had the ubiquitous kind of 3D printer deployment. Yeah, that's something that we just keep sort of cycling. Uh, as soon as they sort of reach end of life, after two years, we try to get the next, uh, the best one we can to replace it. Uh, I'm not sure on the models there. The guys will hate me for not actually having that information to hand, but we have got real 3D print enthusiasts who are always uh, telling me about why the latest one is a higher level of fidelity than the last and uh and why this particular medium is better to print with than the last. last um, they they are really really successful but I find them really successful as a bit of a draw card into the area because they look so Star Trekky they you know they, they, they if you've never seen one before watching them create something seemingly from nothing is is magic and so that' that's you know there's so much to there's so much sort of PT Barnum to to like I think the makerspace it's all about the Wow it's all about the the um, uh, giving people a bit of a show and i think the the um, 3d printers do that they feel so futuristic they might be sort of reaching that end of shelf life for the wow factor because they've been around for so long but i still see it happening i still see people getting pretty uh pretty blown away by them the other things that we have in that are much more into this blended reality sort of uh product line where we've had yeah augmented reality sand pits where you, the, the sand pit is at about Waist height and about the size of a very small pool table, and you move the sand around, and then a projection on top of that forms contour maps with lakes and lava flows and things like that. And so the kids can dig around in the in the sand, and it creates rivers and oceans and terrain, and and, and that's that 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 was. I love that. I, I still do, but. Having having several hundred kilograms of sand right next to 3D printers and a library collection is <laughs> something a, nah, dangerous. a lot of people have had problems with, yeah. I held for same long same. as long as I could. <laughs> Ouch. I know. Yeah, they, they couldn't. They, they, I think COVID couldn't come quick enough for these guys to suddenly a <laughs> kind of reason. To, Get your hands off of everything. <laughs> but it's all about that. So it's, it's all about getting your hands in, touching something, playing with something. We have, we have both, all of our makerspaces are manned by, uh, what we call our makerspace champions. And, uh, um, those guys are really highly skilled at the technology about evangelizing about the technology, but they uh, they're also in charge of developing what's happening next and they're really good at spotting trends at, uh, at keeping on point with what's happening in in these really cutting edge spaces and the the really interesting thing about the makerspaces I find is that they actually are a really deeply traditional uh, library public library, Uh, Resource. They really are, because it's all about the state doing the heavy lifting for the individual. Like back in the day, we were the point of libraries was that not everyone can afford a set of encyclopedia or to buy thousands of books to have uh, uh, to have ready, and so that was. That was the job of the library. That was the job to provide that uplift for, for the individuals to have access to these sort of experience and resources that they just didn't have. Um, and that's where we are with 3D printers and with $5,000 VR rigs and yeah, augmented reality sandpits. No one's going to have one of those in their house. Um, but the, we can afford that, and so by the library doing that, we're giving access to these resources and experiences to, to people in the community because they deserve it. They, they've got every right to be part of the of the cutting edge of technology that, you know, that it's not just for high-end consumers who can afford it. This is something that they have every right to experience and, and for that to be part of their lives. And really, for that to be effective, it needs to be something that they can walk up and use and not have to wait for someone to tell them that they've got permission to use it.
1: Well, that makes a lot of sense because like you were saying, it's, it's about the access and especially like what we do over here in our makerspaces is, is you know, it, it's facilitating more than just printing, you know, rubber duckies and all that other stuff. It's, it's yeah. about, you know, problem solving and about, you know, team building and, and so many other things that are essential to what libraries have always done. And it's just a, asserting new technologies to, um, to help facilitate that same goal. So, you know, in terms of, you know, you have a problem, people have problems, they come to the reference desk for the solution. Now their problem may be a physical problem. Maybe they need a part replicated, and maybe they need, you know, to, to make something for somebody's birthday or, or for a holiday or something. So That's right, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's really enabling the, the customer to come in and say, I need to do this, and this is how we're going to solve it. Like one thing we're actually toying with doing right now, um, something that was – Really, uh, really a popular thing is taking leather journals, uh, leather bound journals that are pretty inexpensive nowadays and uh, putting them in our engraver and engraving, you know, personalized messages or images or, you know, just basically personalizing the covers and all that other stuff. So we're thinking of purchasing like maybe 50 or 60 of them and putting them out with a sign saying, design your Mother's Day journal for mom. And it's not necessarily a coordinated program. But it's something that comes in, we charge them $5 just for the the item, they give us their Mm -hmm. design, and we engrave it for them, and here you go, and why don't you come back with a piece of wood one day and and engrave something else, or does this give you any ideas for anything you'd like to do in the future? So it's that that buy-in by, yeah, it's a little bit of an expense now, but that expense will bring back probably two or threefold the amount of jobs that come back to us.
2: Yeah, yeah, that sounds lovely.
1: Like you said, it's it's serving the people who come in the door, and, and... makerspaces yeah. spaces do that too
0: and Matt, you made a great a great uh, case for libraries that are not yet into the makerspace uh, realm you know um, that's the point of libraries from day one was to give folks access to items books, materials, and now even uh, you know 3 d printers and engravers um, that they wouldn't otherwise have access to you know in their homes or in their local community so I think that's a great case that that folks that haven't yet been able to pierce the uh, makerspace uh, realm to make to their board and their directors and such.
2: Yeah, yeah, I've, I've actually yeah had the conversation here with, uh, with some of the general managers here, and it's uh, I, I can see that they 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 get it when it's couched in those terms. They really get it. They they get that you know libraries are expensive things. The books are expensive. There's you know, um, and, uh, and 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 uh, but. Everyone understands the expense because uh, it's, it's everyone's right to have access to to, um, uh, to these sort of resources. And so by couching it in those sort of terms, except just saying, well, it's not books, it's, it's technology. And by, you know, our makerspace is very successful. Hundreds of people use them every day. So it's the same thing. You get the same. There is the same, to bring it back to balance sheet sort of terms, there is that same return on investment, the same, you know, Transactional return, to, like say so you spend thousands of dollars on your collection. You spend thousands of dollars of technology. More, you know, just as many people are using the technology as using the collection. So it's 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 all uh, appropriate and relevant for um for our for what we do.
0: Yeah, and, and Chris, I guess you'd agree that there's there's really no logical argument against that. What would you say to that? I mean, you have public computers that are there. Why? Because maybe the patrons don't have access to the type of computers that you have in the library. There's no argument against. Why you wouldn't have makerspace equipment, you know, or, or something like that? Because it's the same—it's it, the same vein as uh, why you already have a bunch of the technology in the library that you're using.
2: No, um, absolutely. That's—I think—and that makes that's uh, putting the uh, public computers in the same basket is a good way uh, to to sort of help explain it as well. Like, there's no that, that evolution um, to to the incorporation of public uh, of uh, public access computers in, into libraries is, was common sense and and um, and and rational. Um, the the difference I suppose with the makerspace stuff is yeah uh, as Chris was saying there is there is like the, the uh, vocational return on it with people learning how to use new tools and learning new skills but uh, but I'd say that there is also this experience thing there's there's this thing where like um, you know we' a lot of this stuff of what we buy is high-end consumer technology so there are things that if you had enough money you could go out and buy it and uh, and, and that's that's fine. But uh, but not everyone has that uh, that much money or um, or yeah is lucky to be in households where that sort of thing is a priority. Um, so uh, by the library sort of taking that step, um, it's it's uh, it, it really is a statement about um, what the uh, what the council or the city uh, what their feelings are uh, uh, about um, equity uh, of experience throughout the community and. Um, You know, and and I think it's, uh, I I think it's important. Like, uh, if if you were to put a a video camera into our makerspaces now, like they are very highly uh, used by uh, people of all sorts of, uh, all walks of life, Um, people uh, who might. Run it, use this technology in the day to day life in any circumstances, but also people of differing uh, physical capabilities and intellectual capabilities. And, and that, that's, uh, it's very regular for, uh, for the virtual reality to be, uh, used by people in wheelchairs or by people who are, um, people who are deaf or otherwise uh, challenged. And it's, uh, it's, it's really, uh, it, I think it's a really, yeah, it's, 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 it's certainly a, it, as I said, it's a statement that the, that the city Cares enough that uh, that they make these things available to to any anyone who's a, a member of the community to just uh, yeah walk in and use and then have those special kind of hopefully memorable experiences.
0: So Matt, Ipswich uh, just opened the new building. Could you tell us a little bit about your involvement in the planning, construction, opening, and some of the new stuff that the building has to offer?
2: Yeah, we've opened the new Ipswich. City central library which is in our cbd area the entire cbd area is being uh, redeveloped and with a, a series of construction projects uh it's a it's a massive reconstruction project in the hundreds of millions of dollars the library was the first part of that complex to open as i said it opened on december 5th uh last year so my involvement with it was yeah, almost from the start. It's been through a number of iterations and a number of architectural firms. And I, with the library we ended up with, uh, I was very much involved in a lot of the drawing up of the functional specifications of how what was required in, in all the different rooms and all the different areas, describing what those areas were. And then as we came closer to delivery, um, I took over as sort of the project lead and basically the key stakeholder representative for the For the library, if you like, there are other representatives across council who are in charge of the infrastructure aspects of it. But I would be negotiating directly with the project management team who would then be talking to the architects and to the construction company that was building the thing. It was a really rewarding experience. It's like, as I said, we we seem to be doing this every other weekend, knocking out a library. Maybe that's just how it feels, but for anyone who's going through this or about to go through this, you just can't get it too involved. You've got to get involved as much as you can. The people are going to make so many assumptions about what a library is, how a library works, what a library's customers look like, what all of those things that you know that uh, that you've got awareness of, that you you know you've got the stories about, it, you've got the numbers to prove. But unless you're there, arguing the case and describing how it actually works, people will make a number of very serious assumptions that will completely change whether or not your library works, whether or not people are able to find what they need, whether or not it looks good from a functional point of view. Libraries are designed without books and without people as far as the architects are concerned. And you've really got to be in there challenging and fighting the whole way through to get the outcome that you want and which ultimately benefits the architect, the construction company, the project management company and the organization because the alternative is basically libraries that are filled with pieces of paper stuck to the wall explaining where the toilets are or uh, ad hoc signs saying this is where this collection is, you know, and, and I, you know, I'm, been to many international award-winning libraries that have got signs stuck on walls everywhere and I just and I could just get right away oh you didn't let the librarians in you didn't let anyone from the library talk to you about how this is supposed to work and and when you do when you can get in there and you can show that you're speaking from a place of evidence and from understanding and pragmatism a lot of the time then you get the buy-in from them and they can see that you both are trying to achieve the same thing. And that really can get some great results. And we've had that at all our libraries, I'd like to say, really good uh, engagement with the uh, with the architects and with the, the project management team. There are obviously loads of challenges along the way and loads of them get solved at the last minute. But I think, I think we're getting better and better at it, I think. I don't know how many more we're going to do, but um, hopefully none for a while. But uh, we do have a really firm understanding now of what a customer should feel when they walk in the door, how easy it should be for them to... Uh, engage with the library staff if they want to or not if they don't want, if they, if they want to have a solo experience and uh, they'll be fine. How to make that experience as easy as possible. So the, the, the new library is, uh, is chock full of great new technology. It's, yeah, as I said, it's got a, it's got a brand new makerspace. The, uh, the highlight of the makerspace that people, that drags people in is a light form projector, which is an interactive laser projector sitting on the roof, uh, projecting onto a, uh, a really um, intricate piece of wallpaper, and it calls out pieces of the wallpaper in in, uh, in different video or different uh, different images, and it makes it look like the wall is actually uh, a huge projection screen. Um, I'm not describing it very well, but it it drags people in from the front door. We've got uh, a special local history room. We have a huge area just dedicated to, if you like, coffee table books. It's all face out books. They're all books that are just humongous. They wouldn't fit on the shelves if if they wanted to. They all and they're all hideously expensive compared to normal books, but they are amazing. They're absolutely amazing. So they're, they're in one corner of the library, which gives that a particular feel. We've got our yeah, our signature marketplace uh, taking up a, uh, about a 15% sort of bit of uh, floor plate. Uh, and, yeah, public access computers, uh, a huge training room. And uh, we do have something that's kind of interesting, and they're these—they're uh, called joinery pods, and they're very small. Uh, you see them in a lot of startup offices, where they're glass boxes uh, with, with um, uh, curved edges, and they can only fit one or two people in them. And people love them because they're completely soundproof, and so you can go in there. And we only have two of them, but as soon as they're available, they're snapped up because people love sitting in them. And we've had, we've seen people in there podcasting from the <laughs> 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 <Apparently not. laughs> so it's uh, it's architecturally it's very modern the colours are all very soft it's all really inviting a lot of wood a lot of curved edges um, and uh, yeah it has been a really uh, a really good experience um, delivering something this massive and having it work pretty much from the get-go uh, again our digital services team the digital experience team are the guys who are scurrying around scurrying they won't like that but working uh, around in the background providing all of the the negotiations, the, the wrangling of hidden firewalls and things like that, to actually make it come alive on day one. Uh, but the, the library services team also, from from the get go, are, are out there engaging with people, helping, trying to help them as much as they can, or leave them alone as much as they can. And uh, and they're all excited to be in the new building as well. So it's had good feedback. We've had um, COVID. Within the COVID context, we've had really good numbers, and uh, and also we've had uh, some great feedback from the executive and the politicians as well, from our councillors and mayor. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a really good project.
1: Sounds amazing. So thank you for taking the time out of your day to speak with us and sharing about all the amazing things that Ipswich is doing. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be asking Matt our top 10 library questions, or what we like to call the 032 list, which is a Dewey number for top 10 lists. This is um, going to be very interesting to see um, Matt's take on some things. And we'll also give thanks, like we always do, to Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library for naming the list of questions that we ask all our guests. So we'll be right back.
0: And we're back with Matt Pasco, who will be our next participant on our 032 list. Questions in our list were inspired by Literary Hub, a source for library news that has stories and interviews related to library land. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com. They do a great job of educating and informing library professionals on topics from all over the world. Thank you so much, Literary Hub.
1: Okay, you ready, Matt? Sure. Okay, so first question. What did you want to be when you were a child?
2: Oh, I think when I was a, a little boy, I, I, yeah, I think I always wanted to be an inventor. That's uh, Yeah, and, and the closest I came to that, I think was in in a previous job, I I used to be a game developer, I used to do a little bit of programming. And uh, yeah, I've always found that there was a a real clear link in my head between um, the Ruth Goldberg sort of machines I I thought were inventing and the way that (laughs) computer programs work. They're very similar kind of, uh, yeah, a very similar kind of approach.
0: So Matt, what is your first memory of a library and who brought you to the library for the first
2: time? Uh, my mum took me to the yeah. I remember going to the King Roy Library, which was a small town that I spent a little bit of time in as a, as a little kid. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember I remember I remember two things. I remember getting a book because the book had my name in the title. I think it was called Mat and His Magic Kite or something like that. And uh, and I also remember learning uh, that there was some kind of internet there there was some sort of way that the library could talk to a university or something like that using the phone. And so this would have been about 1980 something, 1985 or four or something like that. And uh, um, I have a a memory of, I think, my mum having a conversation with uh, a bearded librarian about using the computer being hooked up to a telephone and how that was doing something. So, yeah, (laughs) it's it's sort of of dovetailed into exactly sort of what what I've become involved with. So, when did you decide to work in a library? And we
1: covered this a little bit in the past. But, um, and what was your first career path?
2: So, uh, yeah, my, I I came in as a kind of a as a web development consultant, um, and uh, and I yeah, as I was saying, I, I I've, I've kind of fell in love with the the, the business itself. Um, uh, after that, I moved back into more traditional IT. But then this role uh, at Ipswich uh, became available back in um, 2016, and that was as a uh, business uh, services manager, um, and uh, yeah, and I, I saw that as a really fantastic opportunity to get back involved with libraries, and it was at a um, at a higher role with more responsibilities and more opportunities um, to um, to try and influence the the way that the library uh, works, um, and uh, and that was really my what what drew me in was I could really see that there was sort of a match shaped hole. And a a lot of what I was seeing around libraries, I really felt I had something to offer. And uh, and so that's why I decided to to re-engage with the profession.
0: We're so glad you did. You have a whole lot to offer. I can't imagine what what it would be like over there if you weren't involved in this. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So who is your favorite fictional librarian?
2: Bryce. Yes. Uh, Terry Pratchett's uh, Discworld has the Unseen University librarian who's – are you guys aware of what I'm talking about? Not me. The no. orangutan. No, this, okay.
1: Yeah, this is this is something I've heard about before, um, and this is something that's distinctly UK, Australia, Commonwealth kind of stuff. I yeah, don't think sure, have that sure.
2: Here. No, no, uh, no. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Um, but he's, Terry Pratchett's hugely, uh, hugely prolific, so it's hard to miss him. But um, yeah, the, he's created a a, 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 a com- comedic fantasy world. Um, the Discworld and it's it's an amazingly sort of rich universe. Anyway, a consistent character throughout it is a uh, a, a librarian who's um uh who's been magically transformed into an orangutan and the running joke throughout the whole uh throughout the whole series is uh, invariably he gets called a monkey and then he rips someone's head off because he doesn't like being called a monkey. That's like a racist slur to him. So um, that's, that's, yeah, absolutely my favorite, uh, (laughs) favorite fictional librarian.
1: Okay. So what would you be doing if you were not working in libraries?
2: Oh, I'm I'm not really sure. I'd probably be doing something, yeah, uh, other more, Mundane in uh, in ICT. Um, no, that's all right. I, I think that I, I, like the, the customer um, uh, sort of focus that I find in a lot of that I'm vocationally drawn to would probably see me more involved in uh, uh, yeah more pure sort of customer experience roles. It's certainly where I'm, I'm finding myself um, interested in a lot of the other work that I'm doing now. Um, any anything that uh, can sort of help humanise processes with um, uh, the idea of getting people. Uh, looking after people and, and getting people, uh, having people have a better experience, uh, whether that be um, in a corporate function or, uh, or for the community. I much prefer doing it for the community. But, yeah, I could see myself um, working in, in, uh, uh, in customer experience or ICT-based uh, customer experience programs.
0: What would you say is a favorite section of the library?
2: Ah, the marketplace. Absolutely. Of
0: course. Yeah, that makes. Time.
2: <laughs> but that's that's really cheating, but it's like it's it's. I love it because it's it's uh it's kind of the embodiment of um, <laughs> of uh, of what I think. That, I, I really think that paper-based library books are the way of the future. Um, I really like. I'm a real 21st century digital boy, but I, I love uh, I love how Kindles just can't crack through like they they really like more and more people use them but I I remember thinking they were just going to be ubiquitous that was going to be the end of paper books the end you know and uh and it was and I was wrong and significantly wrong because the the, the average book like the, the kindle is on it's what 12th generation or 8th generation whatever the um paper books are on there 25,000th generation you know they're always iterating they're always being optimized for user experience they're um they're they're cheap they're portable they're um uh yeah they're reusable you know they're, they're so amazing and that's that's before you even get into some of the really interesting uh neurological sort of discussions around the difference between using a screen to absorb long-form reading and uh and using paper there's 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 really cool science um and and, and we all kind of know this in a way that you know you do get into a different mood when you read a book, and I think a lot of people instinctively or just know this, and uh, and so there's there's just going to be a role for paper-based books, and uh, and as such, um, I think the marketplace uh, is just a really clear example that libraries can just move tons of the buckets, just like just get more and more people engaged with them, more and more people interested in in, in reading, and uh, and yeah, using. Old, old school technology to uh, to basically you know, enrich people's lives.
1: So, if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to your library? Geez, what else could you add to your library?
2: More
0: marketplaces.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Look, no, I'll take this the, the other way. I'd um, I would be, I would really I'd love to flood the virtual library with. Um, as many copies of eBooks as we could get. Ironically, having just said what I just said, but I think that's always been a real problem with our model is that we can't offer uh, a good customer experience um, from the supply side when it comes to uh, eBooks. The, uh, you know, there's there's problems with the licensing models. There's problems with um, uh, you know how uh, how they've enforced a. So so many of the aggregators and and publishers uh, have enforced um, a one person per use per book kind of uh, model, which is just unacceptable. You know, for for in a digital context, it's just it's just crazy. I'm not sure, sorry, if you guys are in exactly the same position over there still. Um, But uh, I'd I'd love the idea of uh, of the library somehow. Well, and if we had infinite resources, that would be the the how. uh, Just being able to provide. a really, really deep, rich uh, e-book experience. So you're just as likely to be able to find a good e-book uh, as you would be able to find uh, a good physical book, and and being able to buy oh, I don't know, you know, a thousand copies of a book or something like that, so that we're just guaranteed to, to, to get that person to buy it from us. That way, you know, <laughs> Amazon gets the money or whatever. Like it all, so you know, everyone still gets paid, but our customers, in the same way, they don't have to buy the. We've got three hundred fifty thousand books in our um, uh, in our collection. Uh, they, no, no one had to go and buy that. That's you know, tens of millions of dollars worth of material they didn't have to fork out money for. Same way, if we were able to do something similar in the ebook um, sphere, uh, I think that would be that would be tremendous.
0: Yeah, be nobody would have a reason to not have access.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: All right, so Matt, what do you absolutely love about libraries?
2: Uh, I, yeah, it all ties into what I fell in love with at the start—the the fact that it's uh, that you you can do so much uh, interesting, cool, uh, challenging, innovative uh, things as part of what is essentially quite an ancient kind of function. Um, the, the, the you know the, the libraries are, are such a. Um, The the library part of libraries is is properly, you know, ancient thousands of years old and and represents such a fundamental part of civilisation and and the the, the general sort of uh, equitable distribution of knowledge throughout humanity. Um, But in the public library sort of model, I really enjoy uh, that at a more community level, like being able to do all these interesting, uh, fun things uh, with with a different take or, or with a, with a focus on on whatever, like uh, performance or improving uh, access and marketing and things like that, but for the community. So uh, you could use all these dirty words like business intelligence and uh, and performance and things like that, and and marketing and branding and all the sort of thing. But at the end of the day, like the the outcome. Is, uh, is about uh, getting more of the community in touch with uh, what it is that the library does. And I think what the library does is important. So I, I find, yeah, lots and lots of it deeply uh, rewarding at a vocational level, but also at an intellectual level. And, and the people I work with are, are really good fun and, uh, and smart people and who know how to do their jobs better than I do. So hmm. it's, uh, it's a real privilege to work with them.
1: What is the weirdest thing, not necessarily the worst thing, what
2: is the weirdest thing that's ever happened in your library? The weirdest thing is happening right now. I'm negotiating where we're going to hang a eight and a half meter long. Oh, I don't know how big that is in feet. That's okay. It's like oh, eight yards. 20, so it's eight
1: times three is yeah, twenty four feet.
2: Twenty four feet long dinosaur, uh, and one that we're in our children's library. Uh, we're having a dinosaur made out of cardboard and steel that's going to hang from the ceiling, and. Um, and it's also got a little juvenile attached to the side of it. And so negotiating with the construction company on how we're going to hang this huge thing. And when we originally, because we wanted it life size. So I remember almost a year ago with uh, measuring tape and Wikipedia, finding out how big this was going to be, stepping it out and going, oh, okay, this makes sense. And now it's basically, it's getting delivered in a week or two. <laughs> And it is huge. It's absolutely huge. So I don't know what part of figuring out how to hang massive cardboard dinosaurs from a ceiling uh, was was in my job description, but um, but it's pretty weird. It's pretty That's cool. Other,
0: other duties as required.
2: Other duties as required. That's, That's right.
0: that that sounds like ninety
1: percent of what we do, right? That's
0: right. Yeah. So, do you have a favorite regular customer?
2: No. No, I don't. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm too far removed from the the front desk to have um, favourite customers. The closest, no, the, the closest I have is I, I love my my boys. Um, uh, their experience with libraries, they are the biggest library advocates you've ever heard of because um, I don't actually live in the, the city uh, where I work and so I bring them to work occasionally but it's almost always when I've got the, something to show off in the makerspace hmm. and so their version of what it is that we do at Ipswich Libraries is incredible. They, like I, I hear them and telling their friends about it. <laughs> About, you know, which uh, city council libraries in the same tone. they might be talking about theme parks or Disneyland or something like that. So, um, yeah, for, for that level of enthusiasm, my boys, Max and Charlie, are, are I think, my favorite <laughs> favourite library customers.
0: That's a great favorite to have. Chris, that we should good. ask him if he has a favorite contractor with all the construction. He's
2: I know, doing. right? <laughs> oh, no comment. No. <laughs> oh, we, know, we, know, we know what that's like. That's oh, funny.
1: So our final question. What are people without library cards missing out on?
2: Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, they, they're, they're missing out on what it is that we can explicitly do for them. There is something we do that they need. Um, and it's up to us to sort of integrate ourselves into their life's journey so that they become aware of that. But um, there, there is like uh, – if you're – needing to um if your business place has started talking agile all all of a sudden uh you can jump onto to our lynda.com tutorials and start learning agile uh if if you've just had a just had a child and uh and you know and you don't know what the hell is going on like and you're really getting fed up with um uh with your phone telling you what's going on the, the library is perfect we're just made for that we're, we're like the more people go to the library with young children um in some places and to the doctor you know so there because there is so much for for them but i think that's that's something for like uh for young dads to on board as well um i think that but there's there's so many parts of your life's journey that um that the library has got something for you. If you've got children, why aren't you in the library now? Sort of thing. There's 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 stuff there for them right now, almost certainly to knock on the head a lot of the problems that you think are emerging with social media and with uh, um, over reliance on screens and things like that. Um, but all, all the way through, there's uh, there's there's certainly I, I really think that there's there's uh, there's so much that uh, libraries can do for people and it really is our job and it's a job of people like me explicitly for people like me to find out where we're not doing it for people where we're missing them and to find ways to get to them and find out what it is that um as i was saying as as the heavy lifter for the for the state uh, what it is that we can be bringing to them at their point of need
1: well this has been amazing been fantastic. To, to say that that i am in awe is an understatement. Geez, <laughs> terminology and and his your your grasp of of marketing and and that customer service and and, and hanging a dinosaur. God, it, it, you had to put the dinosaur right on top. That was the cherry on top, Matt. Um, <laughs> so really with all that going on, do you have any plugs, like the website for the the library or anything you want to promote?
2: Oh, thanks, uh, Chris. Yeah, no, I'd really like uh, anyone who's interested to uh, jump along to ipswitchlibraries.com.au. That's the site that's run by our uh, customer experience team and our digital experience team. You can see really good examples there of uh, of all of our sites and the work that, that we do. We've also got an online version of the marketplace there, which is a very Netflix-adjacent sort of experience, um, which I invite people to have a look at. Uh, yeah, but uh, no. ipswichlibraries.com.au would be a good place to have a look at all the work that we've been up to here.
1: Excellent. Matt Pascoe, thanks for coming on and speaking with
2: us today. A pleasure. Oh, my to pleasure, you. guys.
1: We have come to the end of another episode of The Library Pros, and we thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments on this or any episode, click on the Contact Us form on our website, thelibrarypros.com. Visit us on Twitter at the Library Pros and on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash the Don't forget to tell a friend or colleague and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our podcasting engineer, Dean Meyer. Remember, the opinions stated by the Library Pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob, and are not those of the Satram Public Library, the MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. See you next time.
0: You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Cristofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm
2: your announcer, Carlton Welch.